How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Amen. The Lord is good, is he not? And he is good all the time. I'm in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. And as you turn there, let's pray. Father, I give you praise that you're with us. Open our eyes this morning. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our understanding, and open our mouths. We'll give you all of the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Matthew 28, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Classic passage of scripture. It's often called by many the Great Commission. It's called the Great Commission because here Jesus commissioned his disciples, gave them their mission, told them what they are supposed to do with the rest of their time on earth. And this Great Commission applies to each and every believer in Jesus Christ, not just to a select few, but it applies to every believer in Jesus Christ. And I want us to see a few things about this passage this morning that I think are important for where we are as a church. First of all, I want us to note that the Great Commission took place on a mountaintop. It started when Jesus told them to go up to the mountain. You see, a lot of people like to start with verse 18. Go into all the world, or verse 19. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But it didn't start with the command to go into the world. It started with the command to come up to the mountain. He told them, go up to the mountain and meet me there. And I'm going to meet you there. And I've got something important to give you there. I've got something important to show you there. I've got something important to impart to you on the mountaintop. Yes, I'm going to send you into the world. But before I send you into the world, I'm sending you up to the mountaintop. Go up to the mountain. And it says, they went to the mountain where he had told them to go in verse 16. He told them to go there. And now understand that we're talking about the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who's speaking to his disciples. This is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, he did not behave as he had prior to his resurrection. Before the resurrection, he was one place at a time. He was restricted to his physicality, his physical presence. That is, the, before his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus traveled the way we travel. If he had to go from here to there, he walked. If he had to go from this city to that city, he took a a camel or he walked. He caught the bus. He took AC transit. He traveled the way any man would travel, except he did certain things that we don't do, like he walked on water a few times, but he was still walking. But after the resurrection He was no longer restricted by his physicality. That is, he no longer allowed himself to be restricted by his physicality. He simply appears in places. The two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and all of a sudden a third man walks up with them. 
Like, whoa, where'd he come from? And at the end of that talk, when he reveals himself to them in the the room, it says he breaks the bread, they recognized him, and he vanished before their eyes. Just disappeared. At another time, they were all in a room together with the door shut, and all of a sudden he appears in the room. How did he get here? You know what he's doing? He's demonstrating his glory and his power to them. And he's showing them that in his resurrected state, he is no longer bound by the limitations of his pre-resurrected state. He's saying to them, I've been through everything that I was supposed to go through. Now you will no longer see me in my suffering and you will no longer see me taking stuff from people who want to attack me and assail me. You'll no longer see me being beaten and persecuted and crucified. That part is over. I've gone through that road. Now you will see me in my glory and in my power and in my authority. And he's appearing to them in different places. And he walked with them, the scripture says, for 40 days. And I mean, for 40 days... He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, but he would, for those 40 days, he would just appear and disappear. He'd show up and then be gone. And they never knew when he was going to show up. They never knew who was going to see him next. And after 40 days, he says, I got one last thing to show you and to tell you. So meet me on the mountain. I'm calling a meeting on the mountain. And they gathered on the mountain and suddenly he came to them there. What does it mean? It means he just appeared there. All of a sudden, he appeared on the mountain in his glory. And it said, when they saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw, and that word in the Greek for worship is proskuneo. It means to lay prostrate. It means to lay on the floor or on the ground with your face in the, in the ground. It was such an extreme demonstration of the heart of worship. It was complete and total self-abandonment to the one who is worshipped. It was not half, proskuneo is not half-hearted worship. Proskuneo is not reflective meditation. It's not, you know, it's not just sitting down and thinking. That's not proskuneo. Proskuneo is when you throw yourself on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Proskuneo is when you exert all of your energy and strength in worship. You know, I love that passage of scripture that Kent read to us. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. You know, when you love him with your strength, it means you exert energy in your physical body in the act of worship. They exerted all of the energy in their physical bodies. Loving the Lord with all your strength means with my physical body, I will not allow my worship simply to be an internal thing. I'm going to make it an external thing. And what we find in the body of Christ is that the body of Christ has been polarized between what I call quiet time and loud time. And both of them are important. There's a certain type of Christian that only knows how to do quiet time. Worship and spirituality and Christianity to that type of Christian is a silent, reflective, meditative thing. They fill journals. And that's good. There's nothing, that's, that's, that's very important. But they don't know how to open their mouth and worship God with a loud voice. They don't know how to shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among us. And so all they know how to do is reflect silently when I think about the Lord. But all I know how to do is think about the Lord. And for some reason, it never makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
You see what I'm saying? And so, but here's the thing. If you don't know how to praise the Lord in a loud voice in the church, you wonder why you have no voice to preach the gospel in the world. Because when the devil goes to shut your mouth, he doesn't start in the marketplace. He starts in the church. And if he can shut your mouth during worship at church, he doesn't even have any problem shutting your mouth in the marketplace. If you're too ashamed to praise him with a loud voice at church because you're worried about what somebody's going to say or who's going to hear you, how are you ever going to preach the gospel in the marketplace? And that's why he started with worship on the mountain. He said, come up to the mountain and learn how to worship me on the mountain. Learn how to proskuneo. I'm going to send you, but you can't go until you first come. You've got to come up to the mountain and learn to worship me here. I can't send you to the world until I bring you to the mountain and teach you how to worship on the mountain. And, and the call of God upon the lives of the people of God in, this, in these last days and in this season is come up to the mountain and learn how to proskuneo. Learn how to throw yourself down before the Lord. Learn how to cast down your golden crowns before the throne. Learn how to cry out with a loud voice. Are you hearing me this morning? But on the other side... They're loudmouth believers who don't know how to be quiet. We go to church and shout and sing and scream and dance and cry out, but don't say a word to the Lord all week long. Don't know how to go into the secret place and reflect and meditate. We, don't, we know how to shout, but we don't know how to think about the Lord. And because all we know how to do is shout hallelujah, praise you Jesus, but we never thought about the Lord, we don't even know what we're shouting about. Just a bunch of shouting and yelling and screaming. And there's no depth to your life at all because all you're doing is shouting and screaming. It's a big show because it hasn't come out of the prayer closet. It hasn't come out of the secret place of the Most High. And so what we're learning is that we need both. We need to know how to go into that secret place and meditate on His Word day and night. We need to know how to go into that secret place of silence and sit before the Lord and sit before the feet of Jesus. We need to know how to go into that reflective place. Meditation is the lost art of the contemporary church. We've forgotten how to meditate, but the Bible clearly says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. Have you learned how to pray without ceasing? Have you learned how to meditate on his word day and night? How to turn it over and over? If you, would, if you and I would examine the meditations of our heart, would they be acceptable in his sight? David said, may the words of my mouth, loud time, and the meditations of my heart, quiet time, be acceptable in your sight. I want the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in his sight. Come on, give God some praise. And so Jesus said, come up to the mountain, come up to the mountain, come up to the mountain and meet with me. Proskuneo, I got to take you to the mountaintop before I send you out into the world. And they saw him and they worshiped him. They saw him and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Why is that important? It's important because they just saw something terrible happen to him. Now, you know. When the person who's supposed to be protecting you gets beat up. You know, I heard somebody talking about seeing his daddy get beat up. He said, somebody was messing with me and my daddy said, hey, why are you messing with me? And then they punched my dad and beat him up. 
My dad said, let's get out of here. He said, I lost all respect for him at that moment. He was a comedian. It was a joke. But, <laughs> but, the, the, but the fact is, when the person who's supposed to be protecting you gets beat up, you have no confidence that you're okay. You have no, I mean, they just took their rabbi, their Lord, and beat him and killed him before their very eyes. How do you think the disciples are feeling? Do you think they're feeling confident? So it's important that he comes in his resurrected glory and shows them his power. What he is doing is he is demonstrating to them that what happened to him did not happen to him. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. What he's doing is flipping the script on what happened to him and showing them that it actually happened by his power. He's showing them that the crucifixion was not the demonstration of his impotence and powerlessness, but it was the greatest demonstration of his power that the world had ever seen. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. He said, I want you to know, I know you saw me get beat down and killed, but I died once for all, and the death I died, I died no more. Death couldn't hold me in the ground. I went into the grave to show you that I'm stronger than the grave. He's building their confidence. He's showing them. He says, I went through this to show you that you are stronger than death too. I went through this to show you that you don't even have to be afraid of losing your life. All authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. And he spoke these things to them because he knew that they were going to stand before the authorities of the world. And if they didn't know that all authority in heaven and on earth belonged to Jesus, they would be tempted to be intimidated in the presence of the authority of men. Jesus stood before the authority of men. His name was Pontius Pilate. And he said, are you a king? He said, you're right, I'm a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my soldiers would fight for me. So so you're a king? You're right, I'm a king. And for this reason, the son of man came into the world and anyone who hears the truth, hears me. He stood before the authorities of men and was not intimidated. Why? Because he knew that he was the only authority in town. We are so intimidated as believers in Jesus Christ. We're intimidated in the workplace. Oh, we can't talk about Jesus here. We're intimidated in the school. Oh, we can't talk about Jesus here. We're intimidated on the street. Oh, we don't know if we can talk about, is this okay? Are we going to get in trouble? Is this okay? You know, what drives me crazy is believers in Jesus Christ who walk down the street singing a worship song. Lord, I give you my heart. But then a crowd of people starts coming. Mm-hmm. People walk away, every step that I take. So intimidated, we're so respectful of worldly authority. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should go around being brash and, 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 and overstepping boundaries. We've got to be wise about our witness at the same time, but not intimidated, not fearful. We've got to know that Jesus is the only authority in town. All authority. And then he said this, therefore, go, therefore, go. Let me ask you this question. Can Jesus tell you to go? 
He can only tell you to go if you have come. If you haven't come up to the mountain, he can't tell you to go from it. You know why most Christians never go into the world and make disciples of of all nations? They never went high enough on the mountain to hear Jesus say go. Ninety nine point nine percent of believers in Jesus Christ, especially in the United States of America, have no consciousness of the calling. No consciousness of the commission. From the moment Jesus said go to the very last day of their lives, his disciples lived under the consciousness of the commission. Everything I do from that moment forward is in response to the command of the Lord to go. But until I've come to the mountaintop, I never acquire the consciousness of the commission. What we need is a new reformation in the body of Christ where believers in Jesus Christ begin to see themselves as full-time ministers of the gospel and begin to embrace their context as their calling. Follow me. We must do away with this idea that only a few are called to the ministry. Are you called? The question is, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you're called. You say, well, I work at Costco. Then you are called of God to Costco. Right now. Does that mean I got to work at Costco for the rest of my life? No, God will call you someplace else. And then you'll be called there. Your calling is wherever you are right now. And whatever you're doing right now. Too many believers in Jesus Christ think that maybe one day God's going to call them. And if you're waiting for his calling, you're waiting in vain because he already called you. Your context is your calling right now. Where you are right now. Are you a full-time student? That's your calling. What is your calling? Your calling is to be a full-time minister of Jesus Christ in that place right now. You must wake. You got to get to the point where you wake up in the morning to the consciousness of his calling. Wake up in the morning getting ready for work or school with authority and power. I'm going to fulfill my calling today. When you go to school, you're called to be a student at Emory High School. You're called to the other students in the school. And you got to wake up in the morning saying, Lord, I'm going to fulfill my calling. Give me my assignment today. Tell me what it is that you would have for me to do today. I am called. Every day I wake up and hear the Lord say, go. Go. You're going, but you've got to learn how to live a lifestyle of worship if you're going to hear him say go. Because he only says go in the context of worship. When he said go, it was only to a group of worshipers. And here's the key. He said go and make. Look at that word make. Go and make. It dawned on me this week that that's creational language. Let us make man in our own image. Let us make, meaning there's no man to speak of right now, but we're going to make one. 
Let us make man. Go and make disciples. Meaning there's no disciple to speak of right now, but you're going to make one. See, we love to take disciples, but we don't know how to make disciples. We don't know how to take non-disciples and make disciples out of them. We don't know how to form them out of the... I'm talking about you look at somebody's life and all you see is dust and dirt. Well, that's all God needed to make Adam. You say, I'm going to take the dust and dirt of your life and I'm going to form it and I'm going to shape it into the image of Jesus Christ and I'm going to make you a disciple. Let me ask you a question today. Who are you making a disciple out of? Who are you working on right now? Say, this is going to be a disciple right here. I'm going to make this one a disciple. I'm going to make you a disciple. When you learn that your calling is to make disciples, you're no longer troubled by the dirt and dust that you see in somebody's life. See, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make, and I mean fashion you, not force you, not make you. Like, I'm going to make you do this. (laughs) Make disciples. Form them. And then he says, let me teach you how to do it. First of all, baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to break this down for you for a second. The word baptize in the Greek is the word baptizo. Baptizo, it became a technical term. So we just simply English anglicized it and turned it into the word baptize. Baptizo, baptize. But what it literally means is to immerse. He says, immerse them. Immerse them. And when you're talking about the name, you're talking about the presence. Actually, the Hebrew word name is an idiom for presence. The name of the Lord is the presence of the Lord. That's why when the scripture says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are safe. It's not talking about just speaking a name, the name of the Lord, the name. No, running into the presence of the Lord, not simply speaking a name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. That is the presence of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. When he says immerse them into the name, he says immerse them into the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Immerse them into the presence. The first thing you have to do in order to make a disciple is to bring them into contact with the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Until they come into contact with the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have no business trying to teach them or command them or correct them. I'm serious about this because this is one of the greatest problems in the body of Christ today. We're trying to teach people to obey, and that's the last thing Jesus said. After you've baptized them and after you have immersed them into the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then teach them to obey what I've commanded you. But until they've come into contact with my presence, don't bother teaching them. Why? Because the teaching, of, the teaching to obey will put them to death and not make them alive if they haven't been immersed into my presence. So stop telling people what they should not be doing. Before they've met Jesus. And this is what the church is doing, isn't it? We love speaking out. This is a sin and that's a sin and this is wrong and that's wrong and this is a sin. And that's and we're pointing out stuff in the world and we wonder why they're so angry at us. Why do you think they're so angry? Because they cannot change it. 
What good does it do for us to stand up and say homosexuality is a sin when there's folks battling homosexuality but in themselves don't have the power to beat it? You immerse somebody into the presence of Jesus Christ, they'll come to you and say, okay, now tell me how to get right. Instead of telling people, you got to stop having sex with your girlfriend. But they don't know Jesus. What do you expect sinners to do? They're going to sin. Why are we offended when sinners sin? You know what I'm offended? When believers sin. If you're sleeping with your girlfriend and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, stop it. You are in sin. I got nothing but a rebuke for you. I'll call that out in a second, but an unbeliever? Well, of course. It's what you were born to do. You were shaping in iniquity. Right? Born into sin and shaped in iniquity. So he says, first, immerse them into the presence. Bring them into the presence. And this is where we as believers in Jesus Christ have no confidence at all. When we talk about evangelism, we want some strategy, some verbal, articulate strategy. Tell me what to say. Give me the right combination of words that will enable me to lead people to the point where they say a prayer. And once they say the prayer, then I can go home rejoicing because they've said a prayer. You know what we need confidence to be able to do? Immerse them into the presence. Of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I reach for the presence. Let me give you one powerful tool for bringing people into the presence of God. Are you ready for this? Write this down. This is going to be very important. Very, very important. Very complex. Make sure you got a pen and paper. Everybody ready? Write this down. Prayer. I know it's a secret. You never heard that before. It's so deep. I had to fast and pray three months to get that word from the Lord. Prayer. You know what I learned is a very powerful thing. Can I pray for you? Can I? And I'm talking about your friends. Your friends who don't know Jesus. So I'm not asking you to believe anything. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? You know what I found? If I can just put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you, I can bring you into the presence of God. You'll find yourself feeling the presence of God. You won't even know what you're feeling. I found that tears will well up in your eyes. You say, Ooh, I don't know what I'm feeling. I didn't ask you to believe anything. I didn't try to tell you anything was wrong in your life. I just said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for you. I learned I could do that all the time. And you know what? Some of my center friends asked me to pray for them. Now, pastor, I was, I want to ask you to pray for me. I want to ask you because when you pray, things change. And you know what? When you, this is the thing you need confidence in is the power of your prayers. When you understand the power of your prayers, you can actually shift things in people's life. There was a guy, there was a guy who worked at the gatehouse in my complex and I talked to him almost every time I drove through the gate and I asked him one day, I said, what are you doing with your life? I said, I know your vision isn't to sit in this gatehouse for the rest of your life, right? He goes, well, I've been trying to get into this internship to be an electrician, and and I've been on the waiting list for like eight months, and they say it's another two years on the waiting list. I said, I'm going to pray that that breaks through. I'm going to pray for that. He said, okay, all right, great. So I I, I drove off, and I prayed, Lord, break that through. I came through a week later. He said, you'll never believe it. They called me. I'm in. I start in a week. I said, awesome. He said, I'm out of here. I'm done with this job. (laughs) 
I said, come on, somebody. <laughs> but then you know what he said? Give me your number. I want to come to your church. Give me your number. I want to come to your church. Why? Because you prayed and it happened. You prayed and it happened. How many folks are you praying for that don't know Jesus? And do you tell them you're praying or do you just secretly in your heart pray? Bring them into the presence. Bring them into the presence. Immerse them into the presence. You've got to practice this. But if you don't, listen, if you've never been in the presence of the Lord, you have no confidence to bring somebody else into it. You've got to come to the mount. That's why being in the presence of God is paramount for believers in Jesus Christ. And learning how to live there. Crying out in your heart every day, Lord, take me into the, your presence. And the first thing you need to understand about being in the presence of the Lord is that you are always in the presence of the Lord. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he never leaves you. He never leaves you. When you wake up and feel like you're not in the presence of the Lord, it's a lie. The first thing you do in prayer is not break into the presence of the Lord, but break through the lies in your mind that are telling you that you're outside of his presence. And when you bring your mind into the alignment with the truth that he never leaves you, he never forsakes you. All of a sudden, you become aware of the presence of the Lord, and you think you broke in in prayer. No, all you did was break the lie off your mind that told you you weren't there. He never leaves you. And so you've got to increase in your competence and in your confidence in the presence of the Lord. It is the presence and power of the Lord. Until we immerse them into the presence of the Lord, we will not be able to teach them to obey. Discipleship is, see, all we know how to do is tell people to obey. What we need is to immerse people into the presence of the Lord. Immerse people into the presence of the Lord. You know, we can preach this way for 10 years, for 100 years, and never see believers in Jesus Christ rise up and take their place if you don't learn how to go home and pray yourself. If the only time you pray is when you're in church, you will be at the same spiritual place you're at. You can sit under my teaching for a hundred years and even say amen. But until you actually go home and set aside time every day to get into your prayer closet and to commune with Jesus. And until you learn how to walk with him on a daily basis, how to meditate on his word day and night. Let me ask you this. Are you growing in your consciousness of his presence? Are you growing in your knowledge of his word? Hearing my sermons will not do it for you. You've got to make a decision. All my sermons do is chart the course and say this is the way but unless you go home and walk in it nothing will change in your life but i'm saying to you that there is a mandate in the spirit for the believers in jesus christ to rise up and take their places i'm telling you that revival is upon us i'm telling you that revival is upon us but revival is not when god comes and does it for you revival is when god comes and empowers you to do it and what jesus was doing on the mount of olives was starting a revival but he did it first by calling them to a mountain and bringing them into contact with his presence and then telling them to go and take that presence and baptize others in it. Are you hearing me this morning? I want to stir you up. I want to bring you back to the vision for this year. Stewardship of souls. Stewardship of souls and stewardship of finances. Isaiah 60, 22. The least among you will become a thousand. I want you to meditate on that passage of scripture. Isaiah 60, 22, the least among you will become a thousand. The smallest, a mighty nation, the least among you will become a thousand. The smallest, a mighty nation, but you got to get that in your spirit by meditating on it day and night. I want you to meditate on that one verse of scripture. The least of you will become a thousand. The smallest, a mighty nation. I'm telling you that you're going to reach people for Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you're going to see souls saved for the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, you're 
you're going to see your unsaved friends and family members come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to go out on the street and talk to people you don't know. Talk to people you do know. Talk to folks that you've been in relationship for years, but don't know Jesus Christ. Talk to them. And I want you to go back to the original strategy that I gave you at the beginning of this year. I want you to take one person and pray for them every day and call them every 10 days. Pray. I want you to write that name down right now. Write that name down. Write that name down. We have to be about the Great Commission. We've got to be about the Great Commission. But what Christianity in America has turned into is a consumerist reality. I go to church to receive from God and I go to the church that I receive the most from and I go to receive and to get and to learn and to get and to learn and to get. And we are so used to getting and receiving, but we don't know how to give anything. What God wants us to do is learn how to be conscious of the commission, consciousness of the commission every day, living my life in the consciousness of the commission. He says, immerse them into the presence of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. I believe that we are to confront sin, but only as an aspect of making a disciple. We confront error. My, my spiritual father confronts the error in my life all the time. No, son, that's nonsense. You're walking in foolishness right now. Everything you just said is completely inaccurate. He tells me that stuff all the time. There's nothing you've said that's accurate. What is he doing? He's confronting the error in my life. Why? Because he's making me a disciple. Not simply to tell me that he knows that I'm wrong and he's right. But as a way of bringing me into the truth. And we have to learn to make disciples in that way. But it's not going to happen until we get serious about it. We got to get serious about it. Are you making disciples? Are you making, are you really making disciples right now? Who are you immersing into the presence of the father and son and Holy spirit? Who do you pray for at night? God wants. listen, our hearts are so small. We think we don't have room in our hearts. Our hearts are so burdened with what we need to happen with us that we don't have room for God to put an unbeliever on our heart that we could cry out for him day and night. I'm too worried about the, the rent and the, the, the light bill. <laughs> I'm too worried about PG&E to cry out for an unbeliever. And even if I can pay my bills, what's on my heart is, is the next step in my life. I'm worried about, well, what, what God, God where do you, what are you going to do for me? And what job are you going to give me? And when are you going to give me a wife? And, and when are you going to bless me with more money? And, 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 you know, what about this? And when are you going to get me through this? And we're, we're so full of ourselves. God wants us to get that stuff off of our minds and open our hearts wider to receive his calling. And to become conscious of the commission. My life is not my own. we got to live under the reality. And I know it might seem like I'm rambling right now. But I'm trying to take the truth and deposit it at a place in your heart that's so deep that you never escape it again. I'm speaking to you out of a burden in my heart this morning. That we got to wake up, church. we got to wake up and get serious about the commission. But we got to open our hearts. We used to sing this song when I was growing up at church. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart. And love that soul through me. And may I ever do my part to lead that soul to thee. 
Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I ever do my part to bring that soul to thee, to lead that soul to thee. I want us to pray that prayer every day and to believe that God will make you fruitful. The body of Christ has been sterile for too long, but now God is opening the womb of the body of Christ and he's making us fruitful and he's causing us to be fruitful and multiply. And he said, the least of you will become a thousand. The smallest of you will become a mighty nation. You're going to be fruitful and multiply, but it starts with you going up to the mountain and worshiping God every day. I'm talking about setting aside time every day to go up to the mountain and to cast yourself down at the feet of Jesus. We got to go deeper in prayer. We got to go deeper in worship. We got to go deeper into the presence of the Lord and we got to give it to the world. We got to give it to the world. And then he ends with this and I'm going to end with this as well. He said, After you teach them to obey all things that I've commanded you, he says, this is what I want you to know. I am with you always. Surely, I am with you always. Surely, I am with you always. We quote that command. We quote that promise. But did you ever stop to realize that that promise was given to those who were answering the commission? It doesn't mean he's not with you if you're not answering the commission, but it means that the experience of his presence is most powerfully intense when we are in the process of obeying his commands. You get serious about the commission, he will get serious about manifesting his presence to you. And he had to give that promise because whenever you do go out to answer the commission... Whenever you do start reaching out to others, it seems that in order to reach out to others, you have to step away from the presence of the Lord. See, when I come to that mountain and I begin to experience the presence of the Lord, to hear him say go is the last thing I want to hear. No, I want to stay. I'm in the presence of Jesus. I just want to stay here and live here. And he says, no, go. What do you mean go? I want to play another worship song. And just, and, and you know, I want to walk down the street with my iPod and just singing worship, but I never see the people that walk by. And we've come to the place where even those of us who know how to go up to the mountain don't know how to go from it because we're so afraid that we're leaving the presence of the Lord. But he ends by saying, go, but I'm going with you. I'm with you always. You're not leaving his presence to go reach out to others. And I know you feel depleted when you've poured out your life to others. You feel depleted. But he says, no, you're not depleted. I'm with you always. You're never depleted. I'm with you always. You simply have to learn how to find his presence in a new way. You know what I found? When I feel empty, when I feel dry, I look for someone else to pray for. Don't fall into the trap of praying for yourself Because you feel dry. You'll be there all day and you'll still feel dry. I've done that so many times before. Lord, I feel dry. Go lock myself in my prayer closet and pray for hours and come out and I still feel dry. But if I can find one person, a believer or an unbeliever, hey, how you doing? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? You know why I got so refreshed and filled this last week? Because I looked for as many people to pray for as I could. Can I pray for you? 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 I was at my friend's house and their friends came over from next door. I said, can I pray for them? 
He said, sure. I said, can I pray for you too? They said, sure. Sit down right here. They sat down and I start praying. You know what happened? The presence of God came and tears started flowing down their eyes and tears started flowing down my eyes. You know what I found? I came into the presence of Jesus in a more powerful way. Why? Because I went after them. I reached out out to them, not trying to meet my own needs, but to ask Jesus to meet theirs. In the midst of it, I find the presence of Jesus to be more powerful than I've ever experienced it before. I'm telling you that God is calling us outside of ourselves. And most of us won't reach out until we've solved the riddle of our own existence. We're trying to solve the riddle of our own existence. Lord, give me answers about me, and then maybe I'll minister to somebody else. He says, no, no, no. You want to discover yourself? You go out and you feed my sheep and you feed my lambs. You go out and you reach. You reach. You reach. I want you to reach this week. I want you to reach out to somebody this week. I want testimonies to come back next Sunday about what you did this week. I'm telling you, I don't care if there was one person in this room this morning to hear this message. It's powerful. If that one person were to receive this message, you go out and become a thousand thousand. You would go out and become a thousand. I'm telling you that the least among you would become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. I'm telling you. And what you're going to do is bring people into the fellowship of the burning heart. That's what it means to immerse them into the presence of the father, son, and Holy spirit. All of a sudden their hearts start to burn within them. You know what? I'm no longer satisfied with any connection. If it doesn't stir up the fellowship of the burning heart, when I'm hanging out with you, I'm stirring up the fellowship of the burning heart and I'm looking for that moment. And it doesn't mean we can't have fun. Yesterday I was playing golf with a brother and it was his birthday and Ryan, he was the the former senior pastor of the ark. And we went out yesterday morning and we played golf for his birthday and we laughed and we talked and we played, but all of a sudden these moments just kept coming where we'd laugh. And then all of a sudden the Lord would speak to us and we'd share what the Lord was saying. And we'd laugh and then the Lord would speak to us. We had wonderful fellowship with each other and wonderful time. We laughed and we played, but the presence of the Lord was so real. And I'm telling you, we can learn to live in the presence of the Lord day and night. It doesn't mean we have to live somber, reverent Christian lives. We can laugh and play, but understand that the presence of God is always there. And he said, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. He wants us to acknowledge his presence. Right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak the blessing of the Lord over you. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm having one of those days where I feel like I want to keep preaching to you because I want you to get it. I feel like once you get this, you'll change the world. If, 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 just, if, if a handful of you could get it, but I want to keep preaching until all of you get it. I, I've, I've turned away from my notes this morning because I, I just want to deposit this truth so deep in your heart. I want to plow the ground of your heart so that the seed can go deep and it can be watered by the word of God and by the spirit of God and it would bring forth fruit. You are priests of God. You are servants of the Lord. You are disciples of Jesus Christ and you have a responsibility and a privilege and it is to make disciples of all nations. But you've got to come up to the mountain. 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 You're going to increase the fellowship of the burning heart. There were two walking on the road to Emmaus who said our hearts burned within us as he walked on the road. But I'm telling you that each of those two became a thousand. And even a mighty nation. I'm telling you that you're going to fill that road. That thousands will walk the road with Jesus because of your testimony and because of your witness. Do it this week. Don't let another week go by. Pray for that one every day. Pray for that one every day and reach out to them every 10 days. But not only that, pray for those who are in your presence, who are around you. Ask God for words of knowledge, even for people that you meet in the store. Lord, give me a word. Give me a word. Give me a word. Give me a word. 
Look for opportunities to minister to people. Ask God to empower your witness, even in the street, in the marketplace, wherever you are. God will use you. He wants to bring out the treasure. There's a treasure on the inside of you, and it's for everybody that you come in contact with. You've got to ask him to bring out the treasure. Father, this morning I pray that you'd begin to bring out the treasure. You'd begin to bring out the treasure. God, I speak your blessing over these sons and daughters of yours in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I speak activation to the treasure that's in you. I speak activation to the treasure that's in you. And some of you, what's clouded the treasure is confusion. What's clouded that treasure is anxiety and fear. You're holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness or something that's got in the way and you can't even hear the calling and commission of the Lord. I want you to drop that foolishness today. I want you to drop it. You say, well, I need to work through it and process it and I need to solve it. Let me tell you that that's a trap of the devil. That's a trap. You don't need to work through nothing. You simply need to turn your heart and mind to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. Here here, Here am I. I do not possess my life anymore. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I've been bought with a price and I will glorify God in my body. I will glorify God in my body. Father, I speak your blessing over these today. I bless you with the blessings of the Lord, with the blessings of heaven and the blessings of earth. And I declare that he is going before you to make the crooked places straight. He's going before you to open the gates of bronze, to cut the bars of iron so that the double doors will not remain shut. And he says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Don't be worried that darkness is covering the earth and deep darkness the people. Don't even extrapolate. We're so good at looking forward at the future and saying it's getting darker and darker and darker and pretty soon this is going to go wrong and pretty soon that's going to go wrong. Stop extrapolating the darkness and start extrapolating the light. Don't be worried that darkness is covering the earth and deep darkness the people. For the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I lift you up into the consciousness of his glory and of his light. Father, manifest your glory and your kingdom and your light and your power over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours right now in the name of Jesus. Grace, come here. Really quick. Lorenzo, come here real quick. Just stand right here. Grace, come here. Come here. Just really quick. I'm just going to lay my hands on you. And I believe God is going to release you into a new realm of his glory. Just stand right here. Everyone stretch out your hands. And everyone just lift up your hands to the Lord and ask God to release in your life a new manifestation of his light. In the name of the Lord Jesus, as I lay my hands on you, the Lord is ushering you into a new season. And he's removing the darkness that you think is in, his, in your mind. But the Lord says, I am light. And in me, there is no darkness at all. And you are in me. And therefore, there is no darkness in you. So right now, I move your mind out of the darkness and into the light. The Lord says, a new manifestation of my glory is entering your life right now. And you will arise. And you will shine. And the Lord says of you that you are a representative of a generation yet to be born. The Lord says, I have set you apart that a generation yet unborn might praise me. And the Lord says, you are the representative of an entire generation that I am bringing out of a particular kind of darkness and bringing into a particular kind of light. You are the Abraham of that community, says the Lord. 
And it is your faith. It is your faith that saves you and that gives birth to many sons and daughters. There is a generation coming out of darkness and into the light because of your testimony, declares the Lord. And I release the glory of the Lord into your life right now. And the Lord says you are free. There's no bondage in you at all. You are so free. You are light in the Lord. And you felt small, but the Lord says, I will make you great. And I will make, I will cause your name to be known for you will cause my name to be known, says the Lord. I will make your name famous, even though you will make my name famous, says the Lord. And I release the blessing of the Lord over your life in Jesus name. Now, everybody stand up and lift your hands. Stay here. Stand and lift your hands to the Lord right now. I release the light of the Lord over your life. Just lift up your hands to the Lord and receive his light. Let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. That light is shining. That light is shining. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. And the Lord says to you that you are the light of the world. You are the city set upon a hill and you cannot be hidden. You are the lamp and I have set you on at your stand and no one will put a bowl over you, but you're going to give light to everyone in the house. I release the blessing of the Lord, that light, that light. I release you into the light. I remove from your minds and hearts the consciousness of the darkness. You are not darkness. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Hallelujah. And it's time for you to come out of those deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's high time to awake from sleep for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I speak the blessing of the Lord and I release you into his authority and power. Hallelujah. And father, I give you all the praise. I give you all of the glory. I adore you. And I thank you that it is done. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Amen. Give God a shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. We're dismissed today.